Hi, everybody. It's Leslie Jane Seymour um, from Covey Club, and I want to welcome you to episode four of the Covey Cast, where we talk to women about living their best life ever right now and all the great reinvention stories uh, that I can find of women reinventing themselves or of women who are helping people reinvent themselves. And we just had a wonderful talk with a good friend of mine named Jeannie Pinder, who is really living the best time of her life uh, after taking a buyout from the New York Times a while ago and having to reinvent herself. She was an editor and a reporter. And now she runs a fabulous thing called clearhealthcost.com. And she does this amazing thing where she teaches you how to sell, save money on your health care costs and how to read your bills. And she crowdsources and shows you locally in your area how you can, instead of spending $5,000 for an MRI, actually spend like, you know, 300 on it. So, and she's taken journalism to a whole new level. And I'm in such great admiration of someone like that who is rethinking how do we take these wonderful businesses and wonderful arts like journalism and turn them around in this time when everything is so fractured and media is trying to figure out how to reinvent itself. So here's an amazing story and an inspirational interview with a woman who's reinvented herself, reinvented journalism, and at the same time will help you save money on your health care costs. So here we go with Jeannie Pinder. Hi, it's Leslie Jane Seymour from Covey Club, and I'm here today talking with a really great friend of mine, Jeannie Pinder, who is a reinventor and an entrepreneur and a woman of a certain age, like all of us, um, who has done just amazing things. And she has like a three-pronged story that I can't wait to tell you about. Um, not only is she a reinventor, um, but she is a incredible um, reporter and has a history of, of really knowing what she's doing. And, of course, as you see the uh, publishing industry sort of falling apart, she took a buyout from the New York Times and then pivoted and decided that she still wanted a voice on the world. And she created something called clearhealthcosts.com, clearhealthcosts, with the plural, .com, which is an amazing service that I think you guys need to know about, which is a place where you can go and actually find out what you should be paying for different services from doctors and hospitals. And it's kind of an amazing, it's an amazing consumer product. It's an amazing product for hospitals and for other organizations, if any of you run them. And it's just an amazing story of reinvention. So anyway, I want to welcome Jeannie um, to the Covey cast and have her talk a little bit about her history in news gathering. So hi, Jeannie. How are you? Hey, Leslie. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad to have you, and I'm so glad to hear your story. And I, I really want my listeners to know all about you and what you've done, because really it's a, you're like the, the, the trifecta here of what women would like to do 
with their lives, um, especially after they leave the big corporate life and they reinvent themselves. So talk a little bit about your history in news gathering. And I know you told me you're from a small news family in Iowa and that you um, made your way to being an editor and reporter at the New York Times. So just give us a little bit of your history so we understand what that is. Yeah, so um, I was born into a newspaper family in Grinnell, Iowa. I first started working as a professional journalist at the age of 13. My family's wow. labor policy extended to all six children. <laughs> um, uh, and then um, in college, I uh, got a Russian major. I decided oh. to major and wound up um, living in what was then the Soviet Union uh, for a couple of years. Oh, my in goodness. And around, in and around continuing my journalism career, which ultimately landed me at the New York Times, where I was an expert in Soviet and East European affairs um, and also had a number of other uh, jobs there. I worked as a business reporter. I was editor, deputy founding editor of the circuits technology section, um, covered uh, local business, and um, spent almost 25 years at the time. Wow. So was, was that your only your only full-time job that you worked at? Uh, well, before the New York Times, I was at the um, Associated Press in Des Moines, the Des Moines Register, and um, did uh, some graduate school work, including those um, students in the Soviet Union. Wow. Amazing. All right. So... You were there for 25 years, and then the option came up for a buyout. Is that correct? Yeah. In um, late 2009, there was a buyout offering. I hadn't really thought about taking it, but the job that I was doing at the time was probably my least favorite job at the time. So I took the buyout, took the money, and ran. And um, without any real clear idea of what I wanted to do, can I ask how old um, you were at that point when you took your buyout? Uh, yeah, I was 54. Oh, wow. Okay. And, yeah, and um, without any clear idea of what I wanted to do. So about six months after I left, um, I had an opportunity to take a class at the City University of New York Graduate School of Journalism with Jeff Jarvis. Oh, was, I know Jeff Jarvis, yeah. yes. Maybe yeah. tell our viewers yeah. a little bit about who Jeff Jarvis is. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff is a sort of future of the media guy. He's a um, former uh, editor and reporter himself, and he is a professor of journalism at the CUNY J School and has generated an entire curriculum around what he calls entrepreneurial journalism. Oh, the idea interesting. Being that, yeah, the idea being that journalism must survive. We need yes. to figure out ways to fund it so that it cannot just survive but actually thrive. And um, he, he blogged uh, right before Labor Day in 2010. He said, I have some space in my entrepreneurial journalism class for mid-career journalists. If you're interested, pitch me. So we all had to have an idea that we pitched him for a business that we wanted to develop over the course of this class. And I pitched him the idea that I could build a business around letting people understand their health care bills. And he took me into the class, and then um, at the end of the class, almost a year to the day after I left the Times, I won a Shark Tank-type pitch contest in front of a jury of New York City venture capitalists and Internet Illuminati. Um, well, all of, the, all of the students in the class pitched our businesses to this panel, and I won. 
20,000. Wow. How much? 20,000. Awesome. And this is a solopreneur. This is your first time out and you get yeah. 20,000 bucks to start your business. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it, it sort of, honestly, Leslie, it kind of sounds better. <laughs> really $20,000 really isn't enough to start a business. And it's certainly not enough to dismantle the healthcare industrial complex. Which really but it's a start, was. Jeannie. It's a start. <laughs> I, as an entrepreneur who raised $26,000 on a crowdfunding thing, I can tell you I know it doesn't get you very far. But doesn't it sort of bolster your idea, which is, oh, my God, there are people. I'm not crazy. There are people here who believe in me, and they believe in this idea, and there's somebody else joining me in this. Absolutely. It was a huge boost of confidence, gave yeah. a lot of credibility, um, shortly after that, I won another $20,000 grant, um, which I'm sure was fueled in part by the validation from the first grant. And wow. So uh, in early 2011, with a war chest of grand $40,000, <laughs> I set out to dismantle the, um, the healthcare marketplace. Wow. So how did you come up with the idea for your startup? And was it always called clearhealthcost.com, and why did you call it that? Uh, well, we had to have an idea. Jeff said you had to have an idea to come into the class. Ah. And um, I've always been very interested. I'm a careful consumer, and I've always been very interested in how murky healthcare bills are. You know, the explanation of benefits comes in, and they're the seemingly incomprehensible set of numbers. It's almost like they set some chimpanzees down and asked them to type random numbers. Uh-huh. <laughs> Their explanation of benefits, completely bewildering. Um, and um, I'd also had um, fairly recently an opportunity to argue a hospital bill for a course of almost a year. <clears throat> I had, in my family, we had uh, three minor surgical experiences in the space of 14 months, each one of them for about a half hour. And the um, <clears throat> anesthesia bills were 2000 2000 and 6000 Just the anesthesia so, bills. Holy moly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so as a journalist, of course, you would say, why, why could, why 2000 2000 and 6000 And the more I looked into it, the more I realized that um, there were some uh, incomprehensible things, including one medication that I was given, a generic medication that I was charged $1,419 for, but I found I could buy it online for $2.47. Oh, my God. Okay, so this is just your journalism mind looking at these bills going, what the heck is going on here, right? Right, right. Okay. Right. Is part of it also, were you then on COBRA? Were you then more aware of your bills? Were you looking for your own health insurance? Is that why you had, a, or were you always just aware of all of those things? I think I was always aware of those things. I was, in fact, at that time on COBRA, um, and I'm, I'm not anymore, obviously. Um, so I think we all have to be more aware of our medical bills. It's no longer true that everything is just a $20 copay. That's and right. That magical, magical job-sponsored insurance is going to deliver us from any kind of um, out-of-pocket spending. No more. Right. And that's one of the issues as well. When you become an entrepreneur, you have to figure out how you're going to solve the health care issue. That's just one of the right. big issues. One of the big issues that kept me from 
being able to go on um, and do my own thing was hanging in there for my family also because I was the last working person. So that's a that's a difficult thing. All right, so we know how you came up with the idea. We know how you funded your startup. And you were able to get off the ground for $40,000? Yeah, we um I also got a third grant. Um, oh, you are something this. else. You're you're the grant queen. All right, we're going to do we're going to do a little seminar later on with Jeannie <laughs> on the Covey Club where you're going to teach us how to apply for grants. And you were not a, you are a for-profit, correct? Yes. Yeah. Which is well, unusual. It is. And this is actually kind of disturbing because I felt like the grants were never going to stop because I got all three of these in fairly short order. But in truth, it's not that easy as a for-profit to find grants. So, Well, um, girlfriend, you, you scooped them all up. So that's why it's not easy for the rest of us. None of us, A, thought to go look for grants. And second... We didn't even know they existed if you're for profit. Okay, so that's that's the course. I'm just telling you all. Te- I'm going to get her to teach, and uh, so you got three. Okay, so how much money yeah. did you have to get going? Well, that was a total of fifty four k. Okay. And then I um, and then I was fortunate enough to have a little bit of friends and family angel funding. Small okay. sums. Okay. Very small sums. Um, I did also. Uh, recently crowdfund as well on I Fund Women, the amazing Oh you did. I didn't know you did I Fund Women. Yes. Yeah, yeah. How much did you class. how oh you were in the beta. How much did you raise? Yeah. Uh sixteen K. Yeah, it's um, a great site. Yeah. It really I Fund yeah, Women is. is terrific and I had Karen on um earlier. Mm-hmm. She did yeah. one of the podcasts all about, you know, women's issues and why it's so important to fundraise and I really believe that that is the next wave of feminism, which is getting women funded. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, One of the things that we encountered when I went out and looked for angel funding uh, or for um, VC funding is that this sort of, um, you know, 2% or 7% of of venture money goes to women-funded organizations. Yeah. And you found that as well. You found were people saying to you, uh, were, what, how can you describe one of your encounters that made it clear that they didn't get it uh, because it was a, you were a woman and they were not? Yeah. So I think um, it's also true. I it's also true that um, age enters into it, um, but um, and and also the the thought of my business, health costs is something that men generally are not that attached to. You can really, if you think about it, you'll understand that women own reproductive health. Women make or influence 80 to 90% of the healthcare decisions in this country. Wow, 80 to 90% of the healthcare decisions in the U.S. That makes total sense to me. Right, because women own reproductive health. Women tend to own pediatricians' appointments, not in every family, but quite often. Mostly. Uh, Women... Women own elder care. That's right. Women will, yep. And women will nag their spouses or significant others, whether they're husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, or none of the above. Honey, did you get your prescription? That's honey, right. Did you get your MRI? Honey, how much did you pay? Uh, honey, did you? Honey, did you? So women really have their arms around this issue. When we would talk to men about this, because you tend to be talking to men when you're talking to venture folks, they would say things like, oh, I haven't been to the doctor in 12 years. Or, wow. 
Oh, my wife does all of that. Wow. Or, um, you know, everybody's going to be insured under the Affordable Care Act, so everything is just going to cost that $20 copay, right? And Or maybe I have a gold-plated executive health plan. All of my doctors are out of network. What did you say the problem was that you're trying to solve? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. We feel that we just aren't getting really any airtime with um, the venture types. And, and talk a little bit about so so healthcare is owned by women. So when you go to talk to men, it's so interesting how many how many of our things that we do men have delegated to us and just have no clue about. It's just amazing, and we've accepted that and. That really becomes nakedly clear when you're looking for funding, which is really very interesting. Now, talk about the issue of being a little bit older, because I know that um, you mentioned to me that, you know, I mean, as Karen, who does I Fund Women, says, older women actually have an advantage when it comes to crowdfunding, because we have uh, networks that other people don't. And we are at the point in our lives where we're not afraid to ask for money, and we understand that money... Um, actually makes the world go round. But talk a little bit about ageism. And yeah, I know you talked to me about a little bit of the demeaning comments you got um, and about also being invisible. So explain that a bit for right. our listeners. Right. Well, a couple of different things. I mean, in in the startup world, there are a lot of men and a lot of younger men and the idea that uh, tech startups have to be started by um, 22-year-old guys in hoodies or 15-year-old guys in hoodies um, just sort of pervades the startup um, ethos. And then there's this question of whether women actually are allowed to do tech. I mean, we kind of joke that you can't tech if you have a vagina. Right. Okay. We know better. We know better than that. Okay. I build software now. I build software okay. now. You but do doing well. You know, I cause it to be built. Okay. Um, I do. I do some of my own coding, not a lot. Our developer um, lives in Kiev, and we have a great relationship. But I'm the project manager, so to say that I actually am the person who's building it, and sort of causing it to be built, I guess, is a better way to describe it. But um, I do also think that there's an increasing belief that older people can't understand tech. So if you're That's a woman right. and an older woman, wow. you've automatically got like two strikes against you right. before you even start. Amazing. So so can you talk about how you got over that? And um, I know you spoke about a conference that you went to. Yeah. It, it's. I think one of, one of the issues is that, um, as you talked about older women, like, I have more confidence now than I did when I was 19. How old when are you now, 19, Jeannie? I'm 63. Okay. But when I was 19, you know, if people said you're not good enough, I could kind of maybe actually believe it. And right. I, I don't believe that anymore. Right. Um, I do think that uh, gray hair bothers some people, and I have proudly decided not to color my hair. But but I do think that people look at gray hair and they think there's something wrong. Wasn't it um, Zuck at Facebook who said young people are just smarter? Do you remember that? Oh, no, I missed that one. Oh, cringe. Oh, no, no. Okay. But but you can feel that um, in in the startup world. 
Um, yes. And yes. You, you can also feel that um, as we see these increasing stories about sexual harassment coming in, yes. I, that was a big part of my life for a really long time, getting hit on. Now I don't get hit on anymore. I get ignored. <laughs> ah, I was going to say, so maybe it's an advantage. What's great, you listen to all those girls. I have been reading all those stories about the guys hitting on them and wanting to date them and all that. At least you and I, they're, we're not going to have that problem, right? <laughs> it's right. Like, we're, right. Unless they have mother issues. <laughs> it's, right. It's not going to be a problem, but then they just ignore you. Wow. Now talk about being invisible, because that is an, an issue that many... Um, women feel as they get to be a little bit older. I mean, we know that we drop off the all the registers. Um, I mean, I was just looking at Nielsen the other day um, for an application I was doing with a friend um, for a presentation at South by Southwest. And, you know, Nielsen only goes from, which is the ratings for television, from 25, uh, sorry, 18 to 54. And then you're dead. They don't care. <laughs> It doesn't matter. The rest of the rest of the people watching, who cares? The only the only demographic they care about is that. And after fifty four, you may as well be dead. They don't care. So, what about being invisible in your space? How did you make yourself more visible, or do you just ignore it, or do you use it to your advantage? I, a little bit of both. I mean, I think it depends on the situation. For example, one of our big strategies here at Clear Health Costs has been partnering with other media organizations. Yes. So we partnered with um, KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, WLRN in Miami, KPCC in Los Angeles. Our current partnership with um, the uh, Fox 8 TV station in New Orleans and also NOLA.com, the Times-Picayune, has been really great. So we're by partnering with these big media organizations, we're making a lot of noise. We're not invisible anymore. The truth is, though, that for many of those partnerships, I've been doing a lot of work by phone. And I find that working by phone is quite effective for me. People don't see my gray hair. Um, Amazing. I spent, a lot of, I spent a lot of time on the phone when I was on the foreign desk at the New York Times. That was just how we communicated. You call up the correspondent in Nairobi or in Bangkok or in, in Bonn. And um, I think the phone is really actually a very valuable tool. In fact, much more valuable in many cases than email and much more efficient than actually face-to-face, -face, which is the way business always used to be done. Do you think you wouldn't be getting your contracts if you were doing it in person? I mean, isn't it, isn't it now that you're in this area of healthcare, isn't there a seniority thing that would be to your benefit? You know, I've never really thought about that. Um, I guess part of part of the issue for us too is that we're doing our sales effort is uh, you know in in Raleigh, in Indianapolis, in Charlotte, in So you just Salt can't Lake get City. there. The, that right, actually right. cuts your costs by not showing up there. Right. But it also right. solves any any issues. But they definitely know you're a woman though, right? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so that <laughs> it doesn't solve that problem, right? Right. So right. let's let's talk a little bit about what clearhealthcost.com does and also why you partner with those other partners and how this serves the consumer who's listening. So what problem does it solve and can you give some examples of people who have saved money by using it? Yeah. So the problem it solves is that nobody knows what stuff costs in healthcare. 
Right. When you're going in for an appointment, when you come out, maybe it's, you know, six weeks or six months later, you get a bill and you can't understand the bill. So what we what we do is using a combination of shoe leather reporting, data journalism, investigative journalism, and crowdsourcing, we collect information about pricing and relay, relay it back to you, help you understand those bills, help you understand how to navigate through the marketplace, and um, demystify all of this um, sort of string of incomprehensible numbers. We relieve your anxiety. For a lot of people who are heading in for a, um, a procedure, you're already anxious about yes. health, and, yeah. and you're doubly and triply anxious about the bill that you're going to yes. get on the back end. Maybe you've decided not to get a procedure because you weren't sure you could afford it. So what we do is alleviate all of that. Can you give me a step-by-step step of what that means and then examples of women who've saved money, by our men too, um, who've saved money by using your service? So give me an example. Yeah. I'm going for an MRI, for instance. Yeah. So uh, here's a live story from our New Orleans experience. There was a woman who had um, uh, scheduled an MRI at her doctor's request. She has a a hereditary condition that's going to affect her eventually. It wasn't clear that it was right then, but he said, we're going to have a baseline and we're going to check it out. So she scheduled the MRI. Two days before the procedure, the hospital that was going to do it called her and said, how are you going to pay for this? And she said, well, how much is it going to cost? And they said, how are you going to pay? And she said, no, 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 no. How much is it going to cost? And they said, well, we don't know. Did you ask your insurance company? And she said, I'm asking you. You're the provider. And um, so they went through this uh, several more times. And finally, the, um, the, the hospital said, how much is your deductible? And she said, 5000 But what difference does that make? How much are you going to charge? So they said, we'll talk to the insurance company. They called her back and said, we talked to the insurance company. You've used some of your deductible. That MRI is going to be $4,538. She said, what? And um, she then went to our reporter and said, is this possible? Like, could this actually be $4,538? He said, look in the database and see what you can see there because we have prices for various kinds of MRIs. So now, when you say database, she get, you mean she goes onto your site and she looks in your site in her zip code. She puts in her zip code. It says MRI, and you happen to be working with New Orleans at that point, so you had some data already. Right, right. Okay. So she she looked for this particular procedure, and she found it for $672. She was sure she'd made a mistake. So same, procedure. Yeah, same procedure. Same um, procedure. We're accustomed to these disparities. We see these disparities all the time. But for most of us, if you don't have multiple MRIs, you wouldn't know. Right. So she didn't right. know. When they told her it was 4500 she's like, ooh. Um, but having the ability to make a search like this and to understand these pricing disparities, so she checked again, checked again. In fact, the second cheaper provider is in-network. It would come against her deductible. So everything looked really great. Jeez. She went and had the procedure, and she saved $3,768 because of us. Now, what accounts for these huge disparities, though? Why is it because it's not transparent? So 
I can charge four thousand dollars and my neighbor can charge forty bucks because no right. one knows what no one knows. They can't shop. Is that right? Right, right. And then we also have this um third party payer system where the insurance company is making an arrangement with the provider for how much they're going to pay. And the two of them are actually also figuring out how much money they can get out of you in right. deductible. Right. So because there are many, many um, parties in the in the mix, it's harder for people to understand um, and to find any kind of agency in this marketplace because everything is hidden. So what we now, do is we did that change. Did that change, Jeannie, with the Affordable Care Act? Though we don't know where the Affordable Care Act is going to end up these days. Today they're actually voting on all the different repeal and replace and blah, 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 blah. But did, did it really impact that at all? Or it, I mean, from what I can tell, I've had to have MRIs, and um, that hasn't changed a darn thing. So I think uh, one of the things that has happened with the Affordable Care Act is a force that was already in place, maybe accelerated by the Affordable Care Act, these high deductibles <clears throat> that people are encountering. And also... Um, the uncertainty in the marketplace, the way it affects you as a consumer is it makes you anxious. Well, the providers, the hospitals and the doctors are really anxious. Yes. And so the insurance companies are really anxious. So everybody's anxious and everybody's grabbing for money. Yes. And here you, you and I are on the short end of the stick because we don't know anything. But right. Leslie, we're here to help. Good. By saving by saving this woman three thousand seven hundred eighty six dollars, we took it away from the um, insurance company and the and the and the provider, and we see now, this all the time. Now you told me that one of the hospitals down there came after you and said that you know you were naughty for exposing their, you know their their high prices. Can you just right. talk a little bit about that and and what happens? Yeah, so um, this particular hospital, the um, actually Tulane University Medical Center, seemed to come up a lot in our reporting for people who had paid um, extraordinarily high bills. And um, they, it's not something that we made up. They just kept coming up and up and up. They happen to be owned by the Hospital Corporation of America, which is um, one of the biggest for-profit hospital chains, even though they bear the Tulane University Medical Center name. And um, in the course of our reporting, we learned that <clears throat> the CEO of that medical center had sent an all-hands email to his staff complaining about our coverage and uh, accusing us of describing them as predatory and heartless. Ooh. It's kind of, it's kind of email that journalists like to frame and hang on the wall. <laughs> How did you resolve it? <laughs> we Well... We didn't. There wasn't any resolution, and he didn't come to us. He oh, it didn't come to you. To his, oh. No, no, no. He sent it out to all of his <coughs> his staff, and his staff I immediately see. sent it to us. <laughs> so oh, thought, they that's very funny. No. Oh, okay, that's yeah. interesting. Did they lower their prices as a result, or no? No. 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 Okay. Now, how can a listener find your site, and how can they use it? I, you, you're not everywhere um, around the nation deeply, but you are national, correct? Right. Yeah, you can come to our website, clearhealthcosts.com. <clears throat> uh, we have a wealth of information. We have a lot of pricing. There's search tools all over the site. There's a blog. Like if you're going to get an MRI, you might want to 
search the database for MRI pricing. If you're going to get a colonoscopy, you might want to look at the blog where we have a blog post that says how much does a colonoscopy cost, 600 or 5,400, mm. so that you can actually educate yourself before. Um, we also have helpful hints and tips on how to find out what stuff will cost in advance, how mm-hmm. to argue a bill, um, mm. how to think about um, how to how to think about insurance. We don't really do that much with insurance. We spend more time on pricing, how to save mm-hmm. money on prescriptions, mm-hmm. things like that. And, then, and um, if we happen to be in one of the cities that, where you live, like we're particularly deep in Miami. Tampa, St. Pete. We have a bunch of data from Philadelphia. We had a partnership there. Um, New Orleans is exceptionally uh, deep right now. That's our biggest partnership currently. And you had a bunch of others along the coast, as I remember the map that you have on your site. What other places? Yeah, yeah uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, um, Philadelphia, I mentioned. We have a bunch of pricing here in the New York area, New York and northern New Jersey. But in general, um, even if you're not deep in my area, if I'm from Wisconsin, I can still find out um, a lot about what's going on near me and then the general broad pricing of what things should be, right? Yeah, we do have nationwide Medicare pricing on our website. Medicare pricing is interesting because the price that Medicare pays nationwide for a service is the closest thing to a fixed or benchmark price in the marketplace. So you might find here in the New York area, for example, a common MRI of the lower back, um, which a lot of people have had. It could be uh, priced as high as 5000 as low as 400 Medicare wow. pays 497 Wow. That's an interesting thing to know if Medicare pays 497 And if you're living in Wisconsin and you know that, then you know at least that if somebody offers you a $5,000 MRI, you should say no thank you. Wow, amazing. Now what about um, one of the things that our listeners can do is they can help you by contributing their own information to the database, right, in order to help others? So just explain that. Yeah, we'd love that. We have um, a, a tool on the site that allows people to contribute. This is how our partnerships work. We build software that we place on our partner's website that mimics the software on our website that allows people to contribute their prices, we call it crowdsourcing, to our database. And in doing that, we think of ourselves as building a community-created guide to health costs. So you can share your experiences, see other people's experiences, and contribute to this effort to solve the problem for everybody. So I just come in with my bill and I just put in where I got my MRI and how much it cost me. Yeah, yeah. And where I'm located. The, yeah, what was the price charged? What did insurance pay? What did you pay? Okay. You might want to tell us how you feel about it. Like, if okay. you feel like you got particularly good service or ah. particularly bad service. So Yelp for health care. Kind of like, yeah. <laughs> That's the next thing. We're going to have an app called, we'll call it Help. Healthcare instead of Yelp. It'll be Help. <laughs> Um, okay, now we found we found your pivot to the future. I was just going to ask you what's your goal for the future besides help the app, which now I'm going to claim ten percent of. But uh, what? So what is your what is your thought of? Are you do you want to be nationwide? What are the 
What are the yeah. future ideas? Yeah, yeah, we'd like to be nationwide. As as we walk along this path, watching whatever is going on in Washington, um, which only creates more anxiety and more more um, unhappiness for consumers, we realize that there's more and more need for an honest broker like journalists like us yes. to deliver um, unbiased information about price. We're not trying to steer you towards a provider. We're not trying to get our hands in your pocket. We're trying to relieve your anxiety and to tell you stuff that you need to know to navigate the marketplace. In doing that, we've also changed the conversation. In New Orleans, um, we don't hear a lot of people talking about Obamacare. We hear people talking about, oh, this common blood test you can get for $19 here and $522 there. What's that all about? Wow. It's a completely different conversation than the one about the Republicans and the Democrats pissing on each other's shoes. Wow, amazing. And then one of the things that I thought we would close with um, is, can you talk about, you have a little thing, I know you have 10 tips that you've discovered for consumers looking to pay less for great health care. Do you want to give us like three of those before we we depart? Yeah, um, we recommend that people find out exactly what the name of the procedure is and the number, the billing system runs on these numbers. <clears throat> so find out exactly what it is uh, and what the number is. And then ask, how much will that cost? How much will that cost me on my insurance plan? And the numbers cash? are the same across the nation because of, because yeah. of Medicare? Because when, Medicare, when you have to submit to Medicare, it requires that the numbers be the same? The entire billing system runs on a series of, of codes. Okay. And um, and so those codes it makes it much easier for you to have a, a specific conversation. How much would an MRI of the lower back CPT code seven two one four eight cost? I see. When you ask that of a provider, it's a better conversation than how much is an MRI. I get it. Okay. So that's number one. Educate okay. Yourself, educate yourself. Ask the specific question. How much will that cost? How much will that cost me on my plan? Do you have a cash price? Because oh, what is that? I can, I can just pay cash instead of going through my insurance person. We're learning more and more that the cash there is. If there is a cash price available to you, you might be able to pay cash and save yourself a considerable amount of money. It wouldn't necessarily fall against your deductible. In fact, mostly it won't. But you should always ask: Is there a cash price? Wow. Maybe it's a prompt pay discount. Maybe it's a same day discount. Wow. The question, how much will that cost? How much will it cost me on my plan? Is there a cash price? Wow. Incredible. Those are amazing. So that is just like sometimes people wanting to pay, um, you know, if they did some damage to someone else's car, instead of going through their insurance company, they'll just solve it outside of that so their premium doesn't go up. So it's very similar to that, right? It's kind of like that, yeah. I, okay. I think what's, what's driving it is that hospitals <clears throat> and doctors are having a hard time collecting um, coinsurance copay, so they're having increasingly these cash prices. But you don't know unless you ask for it. And Would never have even thought of that. Yeah, yeah. And then um, finally, we recommend that um, you do a little bit more research. Like you might want to ask a couple of providers 
in the same way the woman that I mentioned in New Orleans. Ask a couple of providers. Don't just ask one. Ask a couple of providers. And um, get everything in writing. Oh, awesome. Fantastic. So tell me, how is this a fulfilling reinvention, Jeannie? And how do you look back at sort of the trajectory to this? Do you, is this like the thing you were always meant to do, do you think, that everything was building to this? Or do you think it's just kind of random and this is what happens? Or what's your, what's your overall sense? Wow, I don't know. I haven't really thought about that. Um, I guess, uh, hmm. I, I, I guess on some level, yeah, this is the thing that I was always supposed to do. And um, the fact that I'm really stubborn, <laughs> I think, has contributed to it. We did have so many people in the early going who said it couldn't be done. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do that. It's irrelevant. Nobody's going to care. Oh, your customers are uninsured people. We had a lot of naysaying. I, I find um, that for me that's extremely motivating. When somebody says, you can't do that, I'm like, just watch me. Great. That is so Covey Club. These are these are the ladies who say when they say no, that's when I get going. And um, I think that is the the joining force behind all the women who follow me and follow Covey Club and who were former more readers. They they were definitely the people I used to say who you know a barrier came down when they were on their way to something. You know, and someone moved a barrier in front of the car. They just got out of the car, took off their high heels and climbed over the barrier and kept going, you know, where a lot of other people would be like, oh, we got to turn around, can't get there. But I love your spirit. I love clearhealthcost.com. That is amazing. I love the fact that you're a reinventor. I love the fact that you're a reporter because there's so many of us out on the streets now trying to figure out what the heck we're going to do with our lives. And we know journalism is so important. And we know facts are important, and we know that older women's perspectives are important, and we know that female perspectives are important. So I want to thank you so much for your time today, and I hope that uh, all my listeners will go and go to health, clear health, clearhealthcost.com and also you know, ping you if they um, want to partner with you or something like that. Is it clear on your site how to get hold of you? Yes, it is. Um, okay. On the front page, down at the towards the bottom, is the um, parade of our beloved partners, and there's a little link down there for our email to partner at clearhealthcost.com. Great. Well, you have made my day, and um, thanks, Jeannie. I so appreciate all your help. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. Okay. I can't tell you how much I admire what you're doing. It's We're great. trying. <laughs> I'm on the reinvention slope, just just moving along, trying to pivot, trying to figure out how to get all those things that I think are so important in front of, you know, women like us and also in front of the bigger world out there to say, hey, guess what? We're not invisible and we're not Perfect. done. <laughs> and you embody that. Oh, so thank thanks you so too. much. All right. Thank you. Take care. So I want to thank you all for joining the CoveyCast today and our wonderful discussion with Jeannie Pinder and her wonderful product, which is called Clear Health Health Costs. 
www.thepodcastmarketingmusicgroup.com. And I hope you will look for uh, our podcast on Podbean and at iTunes. It's called CoveyCast. I hope you'll subscribe because we're going to be talking to women like this all the time. And hopefully it's inspirational for you. I hope you will come to our Facebook page, the Covey Club Facebook page, or find us on Twitter or on Instagram. And you will leave comments for us and we can address those. And I hope also that you will subscribe to CoveyClub.com. And I hope that you will join us when we go into full launch mode, which will be sometime in the fall soon. So thank you so much for joining us. And this has been Leslie Jane Seymour, and I appreciate your time.